I'm Joe Getcho. And I'm Mike White. And this is Shazam! Actually, this is We Like Comics because they have no bones. Thanks, everybody, for joining. If this is your first time listening, we're a clean comic book podcast that celebrates all things DC, Marvel, Image, Dark Horse, IDW, and more. Each episode, we take a comic book or comic-related media and review it, taking you on an exciting adventure to learn more. One of the other things you'll notice about our podcast is that, like I said, it is a clean show, so we're going to try and keep it appropriate for all ages, even when a story may be more mature. So for more comic book discussions after the show, follow us on social media at Boneless Comics Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, and YouTube, and at Boneless Comics 1 on Twitter. That's right. And make sure to check us out on the web at bonelesscomicspodcast.com, where you can find links to our episodes as well as after shows, bonus content, Spotty Joe's one shots on YouTube and our Amazon store, where you can purchase any of the comics we've reviewed on our show, which is also a great way you can support our podcast while also adding favorites to your collection. Check it out. Leave us a message letting us know what you think. So today we're going to be covering Justice Society Black Rain, a six-issue crossover event between the Justice Society of America and Hawkman, which was written in 2007 by Jeff Johns and penciled by Don Kramer and Rags Morales. We'll also be discussing the Black Adam movie from 2022 starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson and distributed by Warner Brothers Pictures. No, they did not make us say that. If you missed it, <laughs> if you missed it, make sure you go back to our episode from July and our after show as well on YouTube, where we discuss all things Hawkman and review the story arcs of Awakening and Deathbringer. Yeah, for sure. So the writer for this comic, Jeff Johns, is an American comic book writer, screenwriter, and film television producer. His background and list of credits is very extensive, so I'm just going to try to take us through a quick tour of the highlights. He first got into comics as a child, discovering an old box of comics he found in his grandmother's attic, which included copies of The Flash, Superman, Green Lantern, and Batman from the 1960s and 1970s. So he was on the path of DC right from the get-go. Mm -hmm. Later, he studied media arts, screenwriting, film production, and film theory, and got an internship by apparently cold-calling a famous director known as Richard Donner, who had directed movies such as Superman the Movie in 1978, and the Lethal Weapon trilogy from 1987 to 1998, and is cited as a strong influence of later superhero genre directors such as Tim Burton, Christopher Nolan, Kevin Feige, and Zack Snyder. So this was a big deal. And apparently he got his way, like I said, just by calling the guy and he accidentally messed up on the phone. And he's like, hi, my name is Jeff Johns. I want an internship and somehow worked his way in. <laughs> so then he... that's how that works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he quickly became Donner's production assistant, working on his films in the 90s, but eventually he rekindled his love for comics and was able to actually pitch a few ideas during a tour of the DC Comics offices. And then a few years later, he got co-writing duties on JSA in 2000, as well as becoming the regular writer for The Flash and co-writer on a Beast Boy limited series. Johns was also responsible for things like the return of Hal Jordan in 2005 as the writer of the Green Lantern Rebirth miniseries, eventually working up to 2007 for this series on the Justice Society of America. And I think that's a pretty good stopping point for Jeff Johns. His timeline it, it keeps going. He has a lot of notable achievements, but that's a pretty good overview to tie into our story for today. Yeah, really, you can basically pick a DC character. He's probably written them at some point, mm -hmm. and he's probably had some impact on their history. With Aquaman, he added in the trench and the backstory of Aquaman allowing Black Manta's father to die, 
for the Flash. He wrote the story that revealed the Reverse Flash was actually the killer of Barry's father. <laughs> you know, so I mean, those kind of like big iconic moments, certainly in the modern era, they pretty much all come from Jeff Johns. So normally at this point, I would talk about the artist, but I don't really have a whole lot to say this time. We have a lot of information to get through because this story has a ton of characters. So I think we've kind of decided that we'd rather spend our energy there. But I will say that I prefer Don Kramer's art in the JSA issues to Rags Morales in the Hawkman issues. And that really surprised me because Morales was the regular penciler on Superman Action Comics in 2011 when they relaunched that title with Grant Morrison for the New 52. And I really, really liked his work there. But this is really an earlier time for him. And you can really tell his work isn't as refined. You've even got some like cross-eyed expressions on some of the JSA characters and, uh, you know, various others. So I really preferred the art in the JSA issues to the Hawkman issues. Yeah, I don't think there was anything in the issues that stood out to me, but like first pulling up this story arc, the first uh, issue the for issue 56, the first cover, I think I don't think either one of those artists did the covers. It was a different artist. But no. on the cover, it's like you have some bored looking elf as Black Adam. And then you've got Danny Elfman in the bottom right corner as Brainwave. <laughs> It's he like does one of those, look like Danny Elfman. <laughs> it's like one of those memes where they take a cartoon like the Simpsons and they try to make a hyper-realistic version out of CGI and it ends up looking creepy instead. That's kind of what this cover looked like to me. Yeah, some of the covers were a little bit too busy or, or just kind of that one particularly was really bad. I mean, I yeah. if, if I saw that on the rack, I wouldn't be like, oh, I want to check out this Black Rain storyline. So not good marketing from that. Definitely state. not a point where you want to judge a book by its cover for sure no no <laughs> i am an evil man my rage has leveled cities devastated friend and foe alike so this story really focuses on black adam which is one reason that we picked it in the justice society and i'm curious if you had any knowledge or history of them coming into this at all because they're not i don't want to say that they're bottom tier dc characters but they're definitely not as well known as some others yeah my i don't really have much history with them not you know i haven't read a whole lot of dc over the years but mm -hmm. i will say that i was at least aware of the justice society just because they've been kind of trickled in here and there in various like tv adaptations and and even in comics like just references and i feel like it's one of those things like the Justice League or the Avengers or, you know, those like large groups in in comic history that you've heard of them. And maybe you don't know a whole lot about them and where they came from and what their history is. But you at least know, OK, there's a group of old timey superheroes out there called the JSA. And that was right. really kind of my limited experience with that. And then most of my Black Adam knowledge coming from DC Universe online. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I do think that they appeared on Legends of Tomorrow, maybe in like one of the earlier seasons. I feel like they mm -hmm. did go back and meet the JSA at some point. I think they did, yeah. And I think Stargirl, aren't they on that? Yeah, they're, I'm pretty sure well. that they're on that show. Although I haven't seen that show, I would assume that it's kind of like the younger legacy versions of those heroes. I have not actually read a lot of JSA either. In fact, this is the first time that I've read like their straight ahead title. I've only read them like in other books, but I've been aware of them as always. They're always kind of the team that is about legacy and sort of the passing of the torch from one generation to the next. 
they usually at least in all the experiences I've had with them have kind of a mix of young and old characters, which this story does as well. So we've got some that are actually the old timers and then we have some that are actually kind of newer people that are stepping into like their parents legacy as a superhero and that that seems to be kind of like the core of what makes that book different from the justice league for instance Mm -hmm. and then black adam i was aware of i think only because the backup issues of justice league in new 52 had like a shazam story in there and they introduced black adam in that And actually the story in the movie of him being a slave and all of that really comes from what we call the prime earth or the more modern era version of Black Adam with with him just being from Kondok. As we'll get into a little bit later, Black Adam's origin story for this era is much, much more complicated. than. (laughs) All right. Well, I did some research on the Justice Society. And so going back to their conception, they were actually they actually appeared in 1940 during the golden age of comic books and they were conceived by editor Sheldon Mayer and writer Gardner Fox and this is very they were really considered to be the first team comic book ever created there have been a lot of different iterations and team members over the years but the thing that stands out the most is like you said they they began experimenting with not just having junior members but actually having superheroes age as well which led to reality altering concepts such as changing the name of the justice society to justice league because the editor at the time was a huge fan of major league baseball and so major league minor league and justice league and that's how we got that but it, they actually featured stories where the new and the younger team members had a crossover event with the older legacy Justice Society characters during the Silver mm-hmm. Age in 1961. They continued to be popular in the Bronze Age, which was the 70s and 80s. And crossovers with the Justice League started involving a third team as well. So now you have the Justice Society, Justice League, and another team such as the Legion of Superheroes or the New Gods and and others as well. But they made a decision in the 90s to cancel the book as the editor believed that senior citizen superheroes was not what DC should be publishing. (laughs) So you took like, you know, 40, 50 years of comic history and we're done with that. Well, as often happens in comics, the JSA's title was revived in 1999, and that focused on the theme of generational legacy and carrying on the heroic example established by their predecessors. So that's how we really get that sort of modern take Mm, was really, I think, from that gap. And then when they came back, they focused on that more. I remember reading this somewhere that maybe at one point the Justice Society was confined to like an Earth 2 and the League was on Mm -hmm. an Earth 1. Or something. I, I I don't know the specifics, but I feel like their first crossover was something like that. Yeah, there there's definitely a lot more history here and a lot more convoluted history. Again, yeah. as with comic books, especially books that have been around for, you know, since the 40s. And right. we have Crisis and Infinite Earths in the middle of that. And that's, you know, everything's all over the place there. So <laughs> yeah. there, there's been a lot of like shuffling and reorganizing and consolidating and and that kind of thing over the years. And I, I tried to stay away from that in the history because it, it confused <laughs> me just reading it. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but Black Rain that we're talking about today collects JSA issues 56 through 58 and Hawkman issues 23 through 25 from 2007. And the roster includes a character named Northwind who was forced into a rapid state of evolution and became more animal than man. Basically, he's a man with an actual hawk for a head. 
Uh, so he really is Hawkman, <laughs> but that we will call him <laughs> Hawkman because that's a different character. So keep right. it straight. Right. Uh, a character named Nemesis, which I don't know who's Nemesis, Nemesis they are, but uh, that's a reference <laughs> to our Mystery Men episode in, in case you wondered. Um, but Nemesis was genetically engineered by her father to be the ultimate assassin. We have another character, Eclipso, who is, I think, more well-known than those two. Yeah. Uh, who, but this version, I guess, uses tattoos and a gem called the Black Diamond to actually control the demon inside of him. And then you have Brainwave, who, like his name suggests, has telepathic powers. And you have Adam Smasher, who is in the Black Adam movie. And, of course, Black Adam is in this as well. But this does not include characters in the movie like Cyclone. Um, and also in the comic, Hawkman's jet and Hawkgirl's wings are not made of nth metal like uh, the jet right. was in the movie because Black right. Adam is able to totally rip them apart in this comic with minimal effort. So unfortunately, yeah. the comic counterparts weren't as strong as the movie. No, no, they they get trashed by him pretty easily. Yeah, it seems like one note I wanted to say about Eclipso. Actually, the Black Diamond, I believe, is what spreads the influence of Eclipso. Or usually when someone is holding that, he then possesses them. I think it was mm. just the tattoos that were on that character. They were like that were, binding the demon. Yeah, that were within. like binding the demon so that he could supposedly control them, which I'm sure that's never going to go wrong, as you guys will see. But yeah. uh, I, I was very surprised by that because I'd never seen a comic where somebody was controlling Eclipso. Usually he's the guy kind of mind controlling and making everybody kill each other. So that was surprising. But that that basically is Black Adam's version of mm -hmm. the JSA or his team. What is this place? It's the headquarters of the Justice Society of America. Who's that? Wildcat. His real name was Ted Grant. He was the heavyweight champion. Power Man. The Flash. Dr. Fate. It's Dr. Midnight's Owl. There's something special about him. I don't know what, but... Every time we'd come here, that owl... He'd fly right to Dr. Midnight and land on his arm. So the quote-unquote regular Justice Society members that are featured in this story are the original Flash, who is Jay Garrick. So this is not Barry Allen. It's not the one that you guys know from the show. It's actually the first Flash that predates him back to the 40s. And he wears like the metal, you know, helmet, you know, with the lightning bolts on it and everything. <laughs> and that's Jay Garrick. And then we also have the original Green Lantern, who is Alan Scott who uses the Starheart, which is a magical entity that was once imprisoned by the Guardians of the Universe that saved him from a train wreck and gave him the powers to create energy constructs and projections and even to empower other objects with this energy, like Hawkman's mace, which is actually something that, that was he really does neat. in this story. So we also have Power Girl, who is the Earth 2 counterpart of Supergirl, known as Karazor Letter L, whereas <laughs> our Supergirl is Karazor E-L. So there's a subtle difference in their name there. But functionally, she's a Kryptonian. She's got the same powers as Superman. You know, Her outfit in, is incredibly. completely different, though. Her outfit is completely different. <laughs> and that's a whole discussion that we can get into maybe some other time. But my but, wife was uh, basically like, we know what her superpower is. And I was like, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, there, there is a, a whole fascinating history by why her outfit is what it is but we don't really yeah. need to get into that so we have hawk girl who is kendra saunders in this story and that's important to note because she is not the wife 
of Hawkman Carter mm-hmm. Hall. Carter and Shira, who were the, the previous... Okay, so Carter is the current Hawkman <laughs> in this book. Shira was the previous Hawk woman or Hawk girl. They had a child that was Hector Hall, and he is Dr. Fate in this story. So Dr. Fate wields the helm of Nabu, which is this ancient Egyptian helmet. It has incredible magical power to allow him to transmute matter, fly, create illusions, and cast various spells. But the helmet also has its own personality and a mind of its own. And it can sometimes wield influence or even completely take over Hector when he's using its power. So it's it's kind of a dangerous power set. Mm-hmm. We also have Mr. Terrific the third smartest man in the world. He's an ex-Olympian and inventor of, yeah, he has the the (laughs) T-shaped mask on his face that's like full of technology somehow, even though it's like paper thin. Mm -hmm. He invented the T-spheres, which work as weapons, scanning devices, and even projectiles. And I think he's occasionally used them to fly as well. So I think he can like hold on to it and it'll like drag him through the air. Kind of like Magneto with like metal discs or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And so his wife was killed in a car accident and then he devoted his genius to stopping crimes. That's kind of like his thing. Really think Mr. Fantastic from Fantastic Four. They have a really similar kind of personality and kind of way that they are. So he's the tech guy on the team. Our man is another character, Rick Tyler, who is the son of the original Our Man, Rex Tyler. He uses a drug called Miraclo to give him superpowers for exactly one hour. His powers are kind of like Captain America at Marvel, except he can also breathe underwater and has night vision. I don't know why, but that's that's what he does. <laughs> we also have Dr. Midnight. There's a lot of doctors on this team. If you yeah. haven't noticed, we got Dr. Fate, we got Dr. Midnight. Is there a doctor in the house? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Midnight is actually a Norwegian surgeon with the ability to see in the dark, superhuman dexterity, the ability to train animals like an owl. So he, hmm. you know, Dr. Midnight like tames an owl. Okay. And he's also the world's most renowned superhero doctor. So he's kind of like the team medic, which is something that it's kind of surprising that a lot of superhero teams don't have. Once I thought about it, I was like, oh, that makes sense. They would need someone to kind of patch them up. Like in the field even. Yeah, for sure. So the fact that he suits up and kind of goes with them makes sense. And then we've got Captain Marvel, who in the modern era is known as Shazam. But at this point in the comics, he, he was known as Captain Marvel due to rights issues. But I mean, if you guys haven't seen the Shazam movie, go see it. He's basically the child Billy Batson that's empowered by the wizard Shazam to have what the wisdom of Solomon, the strength of Hercules, the it's it's an anagram, yeah. you know, the the lightning of Zeus, the speed of Mercury. I can't remember what the two A's are, but that's basically Shazam's deal. Then we have Stargirl, Courtney Whitmore, and it's not a surprise she's in this story and that she's on the JSA because this is a character created by Jeff Johns because his teen sister passed away. And so to sort of honor her memory, he created Courtney Whitmore and she's basically entirely based on his sister and like his memories of her. So that's why that character exists. But she wields the cosmic staff, which is inherited from Jack Knight or Starman. He, he gave it to her, which allows her to fly, fire energy blasts. And then she also has some sort of cosmic belt that gives her superhuman strength and agility. And she's also trained in kickboxing. So she has a few, you know, skills that she can bring to the table. But she's definitely one of the youngest members. She's like a teenage superhero. Captain Marvel, oddly enough, is the youngest because he's still like not yet a teenager. But when he transforms, he becomes an adult. Mm. And then the final hero on the team is Wildcat, 
who is a boxer named Ted Grant. And he's also just kind of a fight trainer for superheroes. Elsewhere in the DC universe, he trained Black Canary to fight. So he's kind of in line with somebody like Rocky or somebody like that, except in the DC universe. So kind of an interesting character there. Yeah. That's good to have on your team too. You know, you have a medic, you have somebody to train you in combat. Like Mm -hmm. sounds like they have a lot of good members together. It's, it's even though there's a lot of them. It's a pretty diverse team. We can talk about it when we get to the story, but I feel that maybe the roster is a little bit too big (laughs) based on, and, and if you're listening to this going like that was hard to follow. Well, yeah. That's kind of the problem when you're trying to follow yeah. the narrative, too. So, Thousands of years ago in ancient Egypt, I had decided to pass on my powers to a worthy man. I picked Teth Adam, whose soul I thought was pure and true. But the power corrupted him. He became known as Black Adam. I could not overcome him. So I banished him to the furthest star in the sky. If Black Adam has returned, the world is in great danger, for he has all the same powers as Captain Marvel. What we're really here to talk about, though, is Black Adam, because his movie just came out with Dwayne Johnson, and also he's really kind of the focal point of this story. So Mm -hmm. this version of Black Adam was originally named Teth Adam, and he was an Egyptian prince and son of Ramses II, whose court wizard was known as Shazam. When Shazam grew old, he was impressed with Teth Adam's fairness and decency and meant to pass on his powers to him. However, Shazam's daughter, Blaze, made a deal with the Egyptian god Set, and Adam was instead empowered by the Egyptian gods of Shu, Heru, Ammon, Zahudi, Aton, and Mahen. And of course, that spells Shazam, if you you spell it out. (laughs) So that was actually something neat that they did in the movie, though. I noticed that they used those ancient Egyptian god names when Mm -hmm. Black Adam was empowered in the movie. So that was cool because it was established that Kondok, the country that he's in, is much older than Greek myths and legends and, you know, tales about Solomon and things like that. So it wouldn't have made sense for him to be empowered by the same being. So I I thought that was kind of a nice touch. But his power set is he basically can fly. He has super strength. He can manipulate lightning and fire it and sort of cover his entire body with it. He's really durable. He has super speed. And the only thing that can make him lose his powers is if he says the word Shazam. And then he'll transform back into a normal human. So again, if you know anything about Captain Marvel, if you know anything about Shazam, they have exactly the same powers. They, they streamlined it later to where they got their powers exactly the same way. But at this point in the story, that wasn't the history. So Black Adam really has a long and troubled history of towing the line between hero and villain. He became the archenemy of the future champion of Shazam, Billy Batson, which again, that's Captain Marvel. So prior to this story, he'd been working alongside the JSA to redeem himself. And it's also important to note that while Teth Adam was Egyptian, his wife, Sharuti, and his sons, Gon and Harut, lived in the fictional country of Kondok. So this story is really going to be about Black Adam returning to Kondok and then kind of what happens there. Yeah, that was something I, I had to look into because there were some like you have all this Egyptian stuff and then you mm-hmm. have uh, the Kondok stuff. So I, I I looked into it a little bit and apparently Black Adam was originally an ancient Egyptian who served the Egyptian prince Khufu, who was later reincarnated as JSA member Hawkman. And his birthplace was later retconned to conduct during the early 2000s 
JSA oh, series okay. where Black Adam reforms. So it's funny because it's like he was off fighting alongside Khufu because he didn't know his birthplace of Kandak existed because it hadn't been retconned yet <laughs> until after his family was killed. And now he's like, wait, I had a family and they got killed and just kind of came up. So I, I think that was like a, a bit of kind of confusion in general. Yeah, but... yeah, yeah, yeah. When I looked up the history <laughs> and saw that he was originally Egyptian, I was very confused. Yeah, so, so that's how that happened. Because that was something that threw me when I read this. I was like, oh, so he was off in Egypt helping the Egyptian guys because both Prince Khufu, who eventually would become Hawkman, and then Nabu were Egyptian. Nabu was an Egyptian sorcerer and Khufu was a prince. I was like, oh, that's interesting that he was off like fighting somebody else's war. And then that's when his family got murdered. But I don't know. What, it, what did you think of that? I mean, I, it was very, yeah, it was really confusing about who was what, where. And I kind of wondered if like, you know, Egypt was sort of just like the large, okay, this is Egypt. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, Kandak is just like a small part of that. So he's serving, mm -hmm. you know, whether he's in Kandak or Egypt, he's serving the same thing. So I, I like tried to make sense of it in my head, but I had to mm -hmm. look it up to really get what was going on. Because, yeah, it was a little confusing. So in the movie... When they show Kondok, I thought clearly the people here are of like Middle Eastern descent. It looks like a Middle Eastern country. But then there was a lot of Egyptian iconography, which would actually mean it's like what, like East African instead. And I, I looked into the history and I was like, oh, in the comics, Kondok is an East African country. It's not Ooh. in the Middle East. So okay. that was something that like threw me a little bit. But once uh, again in the movie as well, and I wondered especially too, because there's always stories in the media about like, oh, they cast this actor to play a race that he is not. Like I, mm -hmm. I wondered like, oh, well, so is Dwayne Johnson playing a Middle Eastern character, even though he's not Middle Eastern? No, he's actually playing an African character in that sense of the word, because that's where Egypt is located. So I think that those two countries are maybe used a little bit interchangeably in the comics. I, I don't know. Maybe they're next door neighbors. But like everything in D.C., it's like they always make something up. They're, they're yeah. like, well, here's a, a fictional place. And that's kind of their thing. Whereas, you know, Marvel will be like, oh, it's in New York. Oh, it's in, mm -hmm. you know, whatever real place. So. I was kind of glad that you looked that up because when I looked at the notes, I was like, oh, so this was like a retcon situation. Yeah. Yeah. So even Black Adam was confused. <laughs> yeah. Well, he should have been. So the story in the comic is similar to what happens in the movie, but, you know, with a lot of additional characters uh, that we just discussed. Mm -hmm. So. Um, but in the comic, Black Adam leads a group of metahumans to overthrow the dictator of his birthplace, Kondok, and liberate the subjugated country by any means necessary. <laughs> but unlike most members of the Justice Society, Black Adam, of course, has no qualms about killing, and neither does his team. So it's almost like a souped up version of the movie, which, I mean, this came first, so the movie is yeah. a less version of the comic. But anyway, <laughs> right, not right. to split hairs, but um, basically he has a whole team now that has no qualms about killing. And so kind of like the movie, Hawkman brings the JSA to intercede, but they have a battle that causes probably even more death and destruction than if they had just left things alone. Mm -hmm. um, but in the end, they aren't really to reach able to reach any sort of agreement except for the JSA to leave Kondok and confine Black Adam to the borders and say, you, you just, you can't leave. We won't come in there and tell you how to run your country, but you can't leave either. And that was sort of right. spoilers for the movie, um, but sort of the resolution, both in the comic and the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. 
So because there are so many characters, there's so much to set the stage and talk about history-wise, we decided to split these up into two episodes to give you some background on everything and then to dive in the story so you know what it is the heck that we're talking about. Because if you've never yeah. really heard of Shazam or Black Adam, you're going to be completely lost. If you've at least seen the movies, it will make a lot more sense. And now that you've listened to this part one, it'll make even more sense. So you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, so that so. should set the stage for our review and uh that's going to go ahead and conclude part one so stick around for part two and we'll be back to jump right into the story of jsa black rain we'll be right back we like comics because they have the 